You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Jesus is an absolutely fascinating person. Let's take some time to talk about Jesus again today. Uh, you know, I don't talk about Jesus because I'm a preacher. It's the other way around. I'm a preacher because I love to talk about Jesus. That came first, right? Jesus, you know, got thirsty sometimes, just like we do. In fact, he gets thirsty in our text this morning. Jesus got hungry sometimes, just like we do. He gets hungry in our text this morning, though maybe not in exactly the way that you might have expected. Sometimes Jesus saw people treating other people badly in his culture, and it bothered him. Uh, just like it bothers us when we see one group of people treating another group badly. Jesus saw Jews and Samaritans treating each other badly, despising each other sometimes. Samaritans were a group of people who lived kind of in the middle of the land of Israel in Jesus' time. So in the north there was Galilee, where Jesus grew up. In the south was Judea, where Jerusalem was, and Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And then right in the middle was Samaria. And the people who lived there had their own version of Judaism. They only accepted the the five books of Moses, so the first five books in our Old Testament, in our Bible. Uh, The other 34 books the Jews accepted, the Samaritans did not accept. And they thought that the center of of people's worship of God should be at Mount Gerizim, a mountain in their region, not Uh, in Jerusalem on Mount Zion where the Jewish temple was. In fact, the Samaritans built their own temple as a rival to the temple in Jerusalem in about 400 B.C. on Mount Gerizim. And then the Jews destroyed it about 270 years later in 128 B.C. Uh, There had been a lot of bad blood between the two groups ever since. And in Jesus' lifetime, he had very likely seen these two groups despise and fight each other. Jesus likely saw men treating women badly. Um, In his time, Jewish men out in public uh, often would not speak to a woman. Maybe for, you know, the sake of propriety, maybe they felt like it would be improper um, maybe, maybe other reasons. Some Jewish men just thought they were more blessed than women. About a hundred years after Jesus, there was a Jewish rabbi named Rabbi Yehuda ben Eli, who taught Jewish men to thank God every day that they were not created a Gentile, so a non-Jew, a slave, or a woman. Because it wasn't that they had anything against women exactly. It was just that they felt like men are more blessed by God than women are. They're just more privileged. And so they thanked God for that. And it seems likely that even though that was 100 years after Jesus' time, it's likely that some of that sentiment was around in his time as well. Jesus sometimes saw the righteous despising the unrighteous. So when we read about Jesus' ministry in the Bible, we see that several times uh, he spent time with sinful people, 
and upstanding religious people who saw it would scoff and say things like, he eats and drinks with sinners. Or if he really were a prophet, he would know that this person who's touching him is a sinner. Well, Jesus saw all this and he refused to be like that. He treated women in a way that said they are as blessed by God and as valuable to God as men are. He treated sinful people as if they were made in God's image and God wants them back. He treated Samaritans. Well, we'll see in our text this morning how Jesus treated Samaritans. And how Jesus treats all these groups whom others might mistreat gives hope to us. Because what if I'm the kind of person God might not be pleased with? How are all the, all the godly people around me going to look at me? Um, what if I'm the kind of person the church might frown on? Could Jesus still love me and desire me? John 3.16 from our text last week says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We get to see God's love for the world, for everyone, in action through Jesus in our text today. A story about one day when Jesus is thirsty. And it turns out that he's not the only person who's thirsty that day. And it's even possible that when we encounter Jesus, you and I might find that we're thirsty Let's begin our reading this morning in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. All right, like we said, Samaria is right between where Jesus is down in Judea and where he's going up north in Galilee. He could go around across the Jordan River and around that way, get away from the Samaritans. That would make for a longer trip. So in he goes to the region where the Samaritans, despised by the Jews, live. So verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Or your Bible might say Jews, and, Jews do not share vessels in common, share dishes in common with Samaritans. And there it is. This woman perceives immediately that something is abnormal here. She goes to the well to get water. She's both a Samaritan and a woman. Those are at least two reasons there why a Jewish man in most situations would probably refuse to speak to her, at least out in public. But Jesus, this Jewish man, speaks to her. He's sitting there at the well. He's been traveling all day. He's tired and he's thirsty. He's hungry too, as we'll see later, although 
We'll see that he's hungry, maybe not in the way that we would expect. And maybe his thirst in particular explains why he ignores the social barriers between Jews and Samaritans, between men and women, and asks this Samaritan woman for a drink. Let's read on. Verse 9 again. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Very close to where Jesus and this woman were standing is Mount Gerizim. And close by Mount Gerizim, there's a well that for many centuries has been believed to be Jacob's well. If it's not, we don't know which well is. We think that's the one. And it is a deep well. It's over 100 feet deep. About almost a century ago, it was measured at 138 feet deep at that time. So it's the kind of well you don't want to fall into. And Jesus won't be able to reach this living water he talks about because he didn't bring anything to draw with. The woman's exactly right. Now, living water can mean, in their language, it can refer to fresh water or running water, like from a stream maybe or a spring. That seems to be what this woman thinks Jesus is offering her. But living water can mean something else also. Being a Samaritan, she might not be familiar with the book of the prophet Jeremiah. It's one of those books that the Samaritans rejected. But Jesus, of course, is familiar with it. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, about 600 years before Jesus came, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, in that passage, the living water is God himself who gives life and quenches his people's thirst. But his people in Jeremiah's time had turned away from God. And they were trying to find life and fulfillment in their own ways. It's like they were digging their own cisterns, but they were bad cisterns. They couldn't hold water. They weren't nourishing or refreshing. It wasn't working for them. And it bothered God that they kept turning away from him. Jesus and this woman, they have this little conversation about where he might get her some water. And she takes him to mean just normal water. And so he explains further. Verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You know how A couple of weeks ago when we read from John chapter 2, we saw that Jesus seems to think on a different plane, a different level than everyone else. 
Like in that, in that chapter, chapter 2, they're at the wedding banquet, and his mother comes to him and says, they have no more wine. And she's talking about literal wine, but we wonder if Jesus' mind might have jumped to what the prophet said about God giving refreshing wine to his people, and the kind of the, the life and richness of life that God gives. And God goes, I mean, Jesus goes straight there, and so he tells his mother, it's not my, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to do that yet because he's thinking on a different level than she is. Okay, same thing here. Jesus offers this woman water so quenching that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Water that brings eternal life. And the woman says, sounds great. Give me some of that water so I won't have to keep coming here to draw water every day. This is such a pain to have to walk out here and draw water out of this well. Give me the water you're talking about. But of course, Jesus is trying to tell this woman something and she's, she's missing it. And why shouldn't she, right? It's just a normal day. She's going about her normal work. Her mind is on normal things. But that's about to change. Because Jesus dives deep now in verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And with that, Jesus has this woman's attention. First, he had no problem with her being a woman. He spoke with her anyway. A lot of Jewish men wouldn't have done that. Second, he had no problem with her being a Samaritan. He spoke with her anyway. A lot of Jewish men, Jewish people, wouldn't have done that. Now he knows her past. And to her credit, she immediately recognizes that he could only know her history if he is a prophet from God. And she's right. And her past is a broken past. And her present isn't so great either. In fact, she doesn't seem real keen to talk about it. She doesn't go into any details. She just says, I don't have a husband. Wants to leave it at that. She's been married five times. We don't know why so many. One possibility is that she's lived an adulterous life, that she's jumped from man to man to man, from husband to husband to husband, and so none of her marriages has lasted. And in that case, she might be one of those unrighteous people 
whom righteous people might expect a godly person like Jesus to avoid. But he doesn't. Another possibility is that she's been the victim of unfair treatment by the men in her life. That she's been faithful to her husbands, maybe, but they divorced her unfairly. Like if she couldn't have children or something. Sometimes Jewish men would divorce their wives if their wives couldn't bear children for them. That's a possibility. Another possibility is that she's maybe been widowed five times. Now, what are the odds of that, right? Once or twice, we could imagine, but five times doesn't seem likely, but, but who knows? Or perhaps she's gone through a mix of all these possibilities. Maybe there's some sin on her part, some sin on the part of her husband's, some tragedy along the way. And now she's living unmarried with a sixth man, which in their culture is immoral. And I want to say to you gently today, it is also not God's will for us today either. Because God calls us to a high standard of moral purity. And because in our marriages we embody the same deep and permanent commitment for our spouses that Christ has for his bride, the church. But that's where she's at. And yet Jesus reaches out to her anyway. And if Jesus would reach out to this woman who is, to a lot of Jews at that time, the wrong gender, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong religious background, uh, likely a sinner with a very questionable history, if Jesus would gladly spend this time with her and offer her spiritual living water, then we should imagine that Jesus would also reach out with the same love to us as well. Whatever our gender, whatever our ethnicity, whatever our religious background, and frankly, whatever our history. The sins we've committed, they don't keep Jesus from reaching out to us. It's not like, you know, we need to be hiding our sins when we come to Jesus. He knows about them already, just like he knew about them in this woman's life. He knew her past. The good, the bad, the tragedy. The sins other people have committed against us don't keep Jesus away from us. He is not ashamed of our scars. He has scars too. I know a brother of ours in the church in Tennessee who has been married three times. His first wife died young from a complication after surgery. His second wife left him eventually, even though he was faithful to her. But if he were here today, he would tell us that he bears some of the blame for the breakdown in their relationship. He's not, he, he wouldn't consider himself innocent. And then he remarried a third time, uh, his third wife, and he had been faithful to each other. And today he's a faithful child of God. He's a leader in the church. Because when Jesus offered him living Water, knowing everything he'd been through, knowing his past, his present, Jesus offered him living water. He took it, and God redeemed his life and gave him joy and hope again. Jesus revealed to this Samaritan woman that he knew her. God knew her. He saw deeply into her. And Jesus offered her living water that day at the well. The kind of water that quenches our deepest thirst. 
recognizing that he must be a prophet, the woman then challenged him with the question that came immediately to mind, something the Samaritans and Jews argued about all the time, about where people should worship God. Shouldn't it be on this mountain right beside us, Mount Gerizim, where Israel's ancestors worshipped back in the time of Moses? Or should it be in Jerusalem? And Jesus replies that where people worship really is no longer the point. The Jews are right. They know God better than the Samaritans do. But the point is that God the Father now seeks worshipers who will worship in the Spirit and in truth. And with that, Jesus declares that whether you're a Jew or a Samaritan is no longer what matters most to God. Both can come to him. And later, Jesus will open God's kingdom to all people, including you and me, if we will worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the woman says she knows Messiah is coming someday, and when he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He's the one God has sent to teach his people and to bring them back to God. Just about that time, Jesus' disciples who had gone into the town to get food, they returned. And so let's pick up the story in verse 27. <clears throat> Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Do you know the, did, did you notice the disciples' reaction when they return and see Jesus talking with this woman? They know Jesus, a Jewish man and a religious teacher, should not normally be talking with a Samaritan woman. Jesus is breaking social barriers. And why does he do that? He does that because he loves this woman, because God loves this woman. Church, we need to love the people God loves. And we need to always be aware of how we come across to women, to men, to people of various ethnicities, to people of different, different economic levels, to people who have a faithful Christian background, and to people who are living in sin or who have a broken or sinful past. We need to think about how we come across to them because every kind of person needs Jesus. And we have a responsibility in our service to God to show them the same love of God that Jesus showed this woman. Because if we don't, how will they ever come to share the living water that Jesus offers to them and to us?
Don't let any social barrier get in the way of God working through us to share his living water with the people who are thirsty for God. We need that living water, that hope that only God can give, that relief of knowing he cares about us and he helps us, that life that God gives when he forgives our sin and heals our brokenness. The Samaritan woman, she goes back to her town and she leaves her water jar there by the well. And we don't know why. Maybe she's so amazed and excited about Jesus that she forgets her water jar and runs back to town. Or maybe she leaves it there on purpose so that he can finally get that drink that he asked her for at the beginning of the conversation. And she goes back to the town and she invites, (coughs) excuse me, She invites the whole community to come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And she says, could this be the Messiah? And while they're coming, the disciples try to get Jesus to eat something. They've bought him food from the town. And he's surely hungry. But it turns out that what he's hungry for is something other than what they expected. I have food to eat that you know nothing about, he tells them. Because what's sustaining him, the food that he uh, craves, is to do the work of him who sent Jesus and to finish that work. Jesus is hungry for bringing people to God. And the fields of ministry are ripe for harvest. And maybe the disciples only see a town of Samaritans, those bad people, and we, we can barely even go in there to buy food from them. And then they see a Samaritan woman there at the well, and what's Jesus doing talking with her? But Jesus sees people who are ready to turn to God and find living water welling up to eternal life. Jesus might see us differently than the people around us see us. And Jesus might even see us differently than we see ourselves. At the woman's invitation, the people of our town come to see Jesus. Let's read uh, verses 39 to 42, the last part of our story this morning. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Many of the Samaritans in that town believe in Jesus. First, because of what the woman says about him, and then all the more because of what they hear from Jesus himself. He is, as they say, the Savior of the world. And while he's there for two days, they drink deeply of the living water that Jesus brings. You each have received a bottle of water this morning, and I appreciate our kids who handed these out for us. This is just normal, everyday store-bought water. Drink it sometime when you're thirsty. Drink it later today, tomorrow, next week. Some of you, like me, have already taken the cap off and indulged a little. That's great. Whenever you drink it, as you drink it, think about that deeper thirst that all of us have. That thirst for 
real meaning in life. That thirst to be accepted. That thirst to be known and loved by the one who made us. That thirst for a kind of refreshment that nothing in this world can bring us. That kind of refreshment that we find only in God, our Creator. Refreshment that is life itself, welling up to eternal life. And when you drink this water that you've been given, and you think of that deep, deep thirst within each of us, remember that in Jesus, God invites us to come and drink deeply of his living water. When you drink, ask God for that water. This water is good. Ask God for that water. If you have a sinful past, he already knows about it. You can talk to him about it. He already knows. Like Jesus knew about that woman's past. And he still loves you. Absolutely he loves you. And he invites you to come and drink from his refreshing spring. Ask him for living water and drink deeply of it. And if you're broken like this woman was, you've done some things you shouldn't have done or someone did things to you they should not have done, or tragedy has struck. You know, she didn't seem thrilled to talk about how many husbands she'd had. Don't let that discourage you. God heals and refreshes us with his living water. Ask God for it and drink deeply. We don't know what happened with this woman later, but based on what we see of her here, I bet that Jesus changed her life with the water that he gave her. As you drink your store-bought water, think about how you and I might offer Jesus living water to someone else who is thirsty. It wasn't meant to be kept all to ourselves. Jesus didn't keep it to himself, neither should we. The Samaritan woman didn't keep it to herself, but she went and invited her whole town to come and have some. May we do the same. Don't let any social barrier get in the way. Jesus is Savior of the whole world. Every person is precious to him. Take and drink and share the living water that Jesus brings the living water of God. And may God bless you. Let's pray. God, our creator and our good father, the God who loved us so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, into the world to give his life for us. Thank you for the living water that Jesus brings. Lord, we call on you and, and we plead with you for that water. Lord, the more we drink it, the more of it we want. It refreshes us. It heals us. It helps us on the hardest days. It gives us meaning and purpose. It leads us to you, our God, in whom is life. Dear God, bless us with this water, each one of us. And help us as a church to become skilled, not only at drinking of it, but also at sharing it with others. Teach us, Lord, how to share this living water that you have given us. 
Lord, let this water well up in us to life in its, at its fullest today and eternal life when Jesus comes again. We give you thanks, dear God. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.